I'm Justin Noda. And I'm Kyle Green. And you're listening to Mortgages, eh? A show designed to educate industry professionals and satiate the mortgage nerds. Underwriting, investing, getting the deals done while having a few laughs along the way. Morning, bud. Morning, bud. What are we talking about today? New to Canada. New to Canada. A big influx of people coming and a big influx of brokers required to help them facilitate home ownership in Canada. Yeah, exactly. But before we get going, this is probably going to be aired in 2024. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do is just ask you about goal setting oh. for 2024, for yeah. personal and business, and what you do in order to set yourself up for success, if you do anything at all, yep. um, for your business or for your personal. Um, do you write it down? Do you put it on the cloud? Do you have a vision board? <laughs> vision board. I do have a vision board, Yeah. It's funny though, I think the vision board should probably be something you review every every while and, and change it a little bit because our vision board's like, yeah, I don't know if I, like I want those things, but I don't know if I want to work enough to have those things yep. now. You know, it's funny how life <laughs> changes sometimes. Maybe got a little too focused on wanting stuff, especially during 2021 and 2022 and working crazy hours and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of want a bit more balance. Yeah. But yeah, on the on the... Business side in particular, planning every year is really important, especially with the team. You need to make sure that your team is aligned to what your objectives are, uh, where you're going, where you're going. And so there's a couple of things you look at, creating a monthly budget. So you know, like here are our targets on how many deals we want to be doing every month. You should be able to know and tell whether you're having a good month or not having a good month. And so in in general, I usually map it out and I look at what's our end goal year of the year objective and goal. How many, how many units do we want to do? How, many, how much volume is that? And then you can engineer how much money that that ends up being at the end of the day. And then I usually start to, once I have that end of the year target, then I start to map it out and I look at, well, what percentage of my annual volume do we do in January? How much of that do we do in February, et cetera? And then we can start to create some idea of, of what our targets should be. That's kind of funky because the last couple of years due to COVID, your typical cycles have been off a little bit. Like some of the busiest <laughs> times of the year has been January and February yeah. lately, you know? So I do think that for 2024 in particular, I think that dialing that back a little bit, I think that this January and February are not going to be what we've seen the last two years. It's going to be more of a standard kind of slower, slower part of the year. Um, and so... I would normally look back and think, okay, you know, usually January is 7% of our overall funded volume. And and then, okay, if I want to do 200 million in a year, then 7% of that is, is 14 million. That's my budget for, for January, right? And then build that out for February, March, et cetera, go all the way through. And then that way, when you we have our monthly meetings, we can say whether we are on budget or not. I will say that the budgeting part has been difficult for the last two years because we've just been on a slippery slope yep. and um, and you, it was difficult to know and predict but I think in 2024 it's a little bit easier to say okay we slid down to a new low number <laughs> now where are we going to grow from here and build up from here right yeah, yes, and where is that number going to come back to I mean my my funded volume for 2023 is probably going to be similar to what I did in 2019 which is crazy wow. you know 2020 2021 2022 were much more than that but uh, 2023 was definitely like a, a big slide down unfortunately and I do think that, you know, so you put that together. I also map out what the projects that we want to work on during the year are. 
I do remember some stuff from college, and this would be called a Gantt chart. And so it's basically just a project management chart that shows like when do I, which projects am I working on and when do they start? And then are there any prerequisites for those? So if you're doing multiple projects, then when do they start? The reason I do this is that uh, like many entrepreneurs, I like to bite off more than I can chew. (laughs) (laughs) And so it helps to be able to map it out and say, okay, when you map, you put all these things on the piece of paper, like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do all these in this timeframe. But you create a Gantt chart and you can start to map it out so that you're not working on more than one or two things at any given time. And I also like to assign it to which individual is responsible to complete that task. So there's an uh, accountability kind of built into it as well. And on the personal side too, yeah, I'd like to get together with my wife and and make our personal goals. You know, what is important to us in that year and and sit down and and uh, take a Sunday or whatever, a Sunday afternoon and start to think about like, what are our objectives this year? Um, and I think that more than ever, objectives are less focused on stuff and things and material items and more just like, what kind of life do we want to have? You know, instead of like, we want a cabin, we want a Porsche, we want this, we want that. It's more like, how much do I want to work this year? You know, how much do I want this or that? Just try to dial it back. I feel like um, the pressure of wanting and 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 then not hitting goals that are primarily financial goals, mm-hmm. and then the pressure of feeling like you have to like work extra hard, especially in this kind of climate where you're pushing a boulder uphill to achieve financial goals. And it's like, why don't you just take it easy? You know, so, some of the some of the other brokers out there are just saying, you know what, business isn't here. I'm going to take more vacation. No yep. problem. And when the money's good, then I'm going to work more. And the money's not here, I'm going to work for less. And I feel like for me, the last couple of years as the market is, has toned down, I feel like I've been trying to push the boulder uphill too much. Yep. And that is one of the downsides of having a team is you've got mouths to feed and you can't just you know, kick your feet up and say, oh, it's, it's fine. You've got overhead and you have to at least cover that overhead and pay yourself. You know, so. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And the fact that you have origin now. This yep. is going to be the first full year that you've owned Origin. Uh, no, 2023 was the first full year. Oh, 2022. You bought was, it right at the beginning of 2023? Uh, beginning of 2022. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So 2023 is was a full full year. But uh, but I mean, as you know, for Origin brokers too, you know, including myself, it's it was a down year for everybody. Absolutely. Way down. So yeah, yeah. 100%. Well, on the topic of goals, what we're talking today is uh, new to Canada. Yeah. Right. And the people who arrive in Canada obviously have goals in mind of some sort. They do. And if they're talking to you, it's probably home ownership. Justin, what a nice segue. Wasn't that you a You thought about that, that ahead a good of time. One. I Speaking had a, of goals. I was just wait, I was watching oh, you man. talk, and in my mind, I'm like, this is gonna be sweet. Hey. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> and so we wanted to lean in. Of course, immigration numbers are something that always come up. And in the current 20 to 20, 2023 to 2025 estimates, immigration levels the source of Canada.ca, so you know it must be true. Um, We're set to welcome, I think, 465,000 in 2023, 485 in 2024, and then um, half a million in 2025. Yeah, and I think in 2022, I think the number was like a million people. And I don't know if those were all if some of those may have been refugees, it may have been due to perhaps the the war uh, in Ukraine, for yeah. instance. You know, maybe there's more people that moved over here. But I think that I've heard that the number in 2022 is like a million people. So wow. that's insane. It is. And it's been an interesting thing because, of course, the the government implemented in January 2023 the um, foreign buyers ban. Yep. Right? So now all of a sudden that throws another wrench and to all the brokers, just when you think you got some programs figured out, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. That someone's going to come in and throw a wrench in that completely dissolves something or changes something. And really the only way to know is by either keeping up to date yourself, um, keeping access to the lenders, hearing all the information, um, listening to podcasts, 
um, listening to other brokers that you might work with. Um, but it's a pro- it's a a topic that keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think depending on where you live, not so much in you know small town Saskatchewan, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but again, maybe depending on some foreign <laughs> buyer ban rules. Yeah, right. But right, if you're looking at like East Coast, West Coast, like Toronto, Vancouver, over there, um, where a good majority of the um, people immigrating are going to be coming from, um, I think wrapping your head around at least the basics of the new to Canada programs, what's offered, what's out there, what do some of the the meanings of the terminology that's used, mm-hmm. I think it's an important step because it's going to be a huge opportunity, just like the the renewal wave that's coming through, yep. right? You got to play to the market. And right now, purchases are down, but renewals are still happening and people still want to live here. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I wanted to touch base on a couple things. You're going to run into two main terms, and that is your permanent resident and mm-hmm. your temporary worker. Yep. Right? And depending on which one they have will determine kind of what product that you can place them in and how each lender is going to look at them. So what is a permanent resident, right? A permanent resident, uh, also called the PR, because we love our acronyms in this industry. (laughs) Um, It's someone who's literally been given PR, permanent resident status, by immigrating to Canada, but is not a Canadian citizen. Yeah. Yeah. With that, uh, one of the things that comes up and that you should be aware of is SIN numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So with the SIN number... Yeah, the easy, um, the easy way of knowing if somebody is a permanent resident but not a or, or is a temporary resident here is is if their sin number is a nine. So if you're pulling pulling credit and going through all this and you realize that the sin number is a nine, then you have to then immediately say, oh, what's your status in Canada? Because you're basically temporary if you start with a nine for your sin number. So, and so for the most part, if you have PR status, you're pretty much inside the mortgage industry at least. You got the same purchasing power as a citizen. Yeah. Right? That's right. When you're a temporary worker, it could be a little bit different. Um, and temporary workers are just that, right? A temporary work permit allows some people to come into Canada and work for a set period of time with the possibility of extensions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but. the extension, <laughs> but the extensions are not guaranteed. Yeah, right. And exactly. I think we've all run into the those files where um, you know, maybe it's a temporary worker and they're purchasing now and they're going to move in in four months, but their temporary work permit expires in three. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, no, no, it's going to get signed. 100%. It's going to get renewed. Yeah. Are you sure? I yeah. Hope yeah. So. No, no, yeah, yeah. I promise. Yeah. Right. And you're like, mm. right. But how do you prove it? Right. It all takes, it's all being able to verify what we're talking about. And really, until all that paperwork goes through and they have that new permanent or that new work permit granted showing here's what they can work at for and for how long. It's just guesswork. And unfortunately, lenders do not like guesswork. (laughs) No, they don't. Yeah. So it kind of falls into two categories, and that would be new to Canada insured and new to Canada conventional. Yep. And we'll get into a little bit of the non-resident fund, and we'll get into a little bit of the home buyer's ban. Um, and what that represents and kind of some some finer points in there. Because not everyone who's listening is going to be, um, you know, a broker in Vancouver mm-hmm. right? or a broker in Toronto. Some of these people that are listening are not affected at all by the home buyer's ban, yeah. depending on your location and the size of your city and a couple other factors that we're going to talk about. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So for new, new to Canada insured, of course, this applies to clients who have immigrated to Canada within the last five years and maybe don't have enough established history in Canada yet. They do have a job and they've been working for more than three months. Right. So again, these are the questions that you're going to want to ask right off the hop because if someone says, you know, I haven't been, or I'm not working, uh, I just moved here, but I have really good job opportunities. <laughs> right. 
I don't think you can finance an opportunity, but... Well, not not insured anyways. Yeah, (laughs) not insured. That's true, that's true. So again, we want to make sure that we're asking the right questions to these ladies and gentlemen and everyone else who we're trying to help because we don't want to give them... Number one, we don't want to give them false hope. Um, But number two is we want to be able to give them advice, right? If they come and they say, you know what? We just landed here. Here's my situation. What do we do so we can look at potential home ownership in Canada? Because coming over, that's probably a big piece of this. Yeah. Right? They're going to want to do that because maybe they owned where they came from. And I assume, and again, I've never been an immigrant from, from any country, but I imagine they're coming in with, you know, dreams and aspirations and wants. And a big piece of that is having a home for your family to live in. Yep. Right? So grabbing a piece of that, you know, that Canadian... Uh, Wonderland is 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 a super important piece. Yes, I it know. is I'm Canadian Wonderland. Yeah, Jesus. I know. Hashtag, <laughs> please don't hashtag that. Whoever's <laughs> listening to this, the clients can purchase for five percent down. Now it can be a little bit different depending on the insurer that yeah. you're with. So CMHC is a ten percent down um, if the clients are on the work permit. However, if you're going through Sagen or CG, both of them accept work permits at five percent down as long as, and this is the key, your payments are from your own resources. Yes. So Kyle, do you do lots of new to Canada's? I know you do lots of investor clients. So I'm I'm not sure if this is something that overlaps you a lot. Some, yeah. I mean, a, a certain amount. I, I will say um, I'm handicapped. I only speak English, <laughs> to be Absolutely. honest. Absolutely. It actually makes a really big difference yes. though. You're not going to get a lot of the the new to Canada stuff that uh, where they're, they just don't have great English. And so uh, we do do some, but it's not a huge segment of our, our you know, our client base uh, where I do find that, um, that individuals that speak uh, speak a different language are in a better position to be able to help a lot more clients in that uh, in that way. Yeah, so. and they have a like a leg into that community already. Yeah, exactly. Right, because I've I found, and again, I'm I, I say this in every every one of our shows, but I'm fairly new to Vancouver, um, so learning the geopolitical landscape of Vancouver is super interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah. Where you're going to, you know, if you're in Poco, and there's a, I've found, and I've talked to a lot of people of Persian descent out yeah. there, and then if you go to Richmond. Right. Of course, there's signs that aren't even in English. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's learning those things. But you you bet your bottom dollar that the new immigrants from China go to and focus on people who can speak their native tongue. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So yes, a, a leg up for the people who who can get involved in that. And something that all the brokers who out there who do have that should take full advantage of, not only from a financial point of view, but to ensure that these new arrivals have all the communications done correctly. 100%. Yeah. Law can, again, I, I know we talked about the telephone game before, <laughs> right? But it can get lost in translation. It can, yeah, big um, time. And when someone's coming in and you're dealing with, you know, that type of situation, I think being being as clear yeah. and transparent as you can is super important. Yep. So under this program, there are abilities to show alternate forms of credit. Um, and we did a podcast on credit as well, but I'm not sure we touched on all forms of of credit. So it's something that, you know, yep. if you listen to that one and you thought, man, these guys missed that ball, we're filling it in now, ladies exactly. and gentlemen. <laughs> so from that, there's a couple different things. So if someone doesn't have credit in Canada, and you know, it's often the case when people are new to Canada, there's ways to mitigate that. Yes. Number one is utilities. Yeah. I found that's kind of the the lean to that people always go to because they're living somewhere. Yep. Right. There's probably, you know, they're they're on a lease or whatnot. They have heat, they have a cell phone set up, they have electricity. Um, so I've always found that the easiest one is to go to Fortis. Yeah. Right. Have them write a letter that says, you know, client A 
has been with us for this amount of time. They've always made their payments on time. They're a great client, you know, et cetera, Piece et cetera. of proof. Yeah. <laughs> Prayer hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one that I've found. Cell phone bills. I've found cell phone bills are useful as well. Um, yeah. Call Fido. And they right? do report on the credit bureau now. So like back in the day, they yeah. didn't, right? <laughs> and now they do report. And so at least you can see the payment history on there now. Yeah, exactly right. A landlord letter. I've used as well. Um, yep. So if someone had, this is where it's, this is where it gets tricky though. Cause, and I've found that if both husband and wife don't have any credit, then you're trying to get alt credit for both. Yeah. But with some of the cultures that come and immigrate, I've found that it's mostly the man that right. ends up on the lease, mm. which means that the female doesn't have that alt credit source right. because her name isn't on the lease and the landlord doesn't include it. Right. So if that's the case and it's from such a culture, then lots of the times she's not on the utilities and she's not on the cell phone. Right. Right. So it's a, a little bit more difficult. Um, the one thing and a funny story that I, I had that same type of thing come up and I mitigated it with a magazine subscription. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So, and it was a magazine subscription that we found through going through their down payment confirmation. Okay. Inside so, their Can you tell me what this what is penthouse? Yeah. <laughs> what is this here? Every every I month. I think it was more like cottage and cabins. But... Okay. <laughs> Darn. Still a house it of is, some sort, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. Um, and so what they were able to see is they were able to see that the magazine subscription payment was coming out every month on time, same date, same amount for three months. Yep. They asked for another three, we got them six, and we were able to use that to to mitigate the Wow. Yeah. Nice. So again, one, Justin. thanks. Yeah. yeah. So I've done this before. Yeah, so, yeah. but it's like those type of things where sometimes knowing your client and knowing the culture and community. And again, this goes back to being able to speak that language. Um, and I could not speak their language, yeah. um, but we were able to find that and worked with the lender underwriter to, you know, say, yeah, here you go. Here was the reasoning. And it was exactly what I said. And, but we were able to show that um, because the lenders and the underwriters all understood that, you know, you're coming in. That's, That's what it is, right? right? So so that was an interesting way that I can kind of show that there are ways to... Get around it. Yeah. And also um, international credit bureaus, that's another one. Um, Not every country has the same kind of system as Canada does in the US, but uh, international credit bureaus. And then also uh, international bank letter from the bank that they deal with or dealt with back home as well. Just just, uh, a letter of good standing. You know, there's they're a good clients. They've made their payments on time, et cetera, et cetera. So, those are some other things that can help. On international credit bureaus, yeah. If it's not a U.S. bureau, get them to get their own credit bureau. Oh yeah, That's, absolutely. I've yeah. I've seen some crazy prices oh, for like an Australian insane. credit bureau yeah, it was like seventeen hundred dollars. Yeah, I was like, so I went back and I told them that, and then they went back and got it for like, you know. 25 Australian bucks or whatever. I had a deal exactly the same like that. And it was was like 700 bucks for a credit bureau. I'm like, there's no way. I told the clients, just need to dig around and figure this out. You know, yeah. Exactly right. And that's, honestly, it's kind of the best way to do it because you're not going to have ties to Equifax, Hong Kong. Yeah. Right. And it's going to be in a different language and there's going to be a cultural barrier there too. So again, being upfront, honest and letting them know, you know, here's what we need. Here's what I can't get. Can you help us? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a, a, a good point to bring up. So this program applies to immigrants without permanent residency status as well. Um, it can be combined. And again, we're, we're back on the new to Canada insured side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be combined with the first-time homebuyer incentive if the client requires that 10% down to qualify. Yep. 
um, which is interesting. Um, and I have a note here that clients without permanent residency may be subject to the non-resident tax on their purchase depending on the location and should be prepared as such and for such in their closing costs. Yeah, big time. Um, because in certain areas like in British Columbia, that that uh, non-resident tax is 20% of the purchase price, which wow. is insane. It was 15 and then they bumped it up to 20 back in 2016 and then 2017. Mm-hmm. However, my understanding is that if you pay the tax and then you get PR within 12 months, then I believe that they refund the tax back to you. Interesting. Yeah. But do you really want to take that gamble that like the government's going to pay you back? If I was the government... Like, oh, if I just drag this <laughs> approval out for an extra month, we get to keep a hundred grand. No, <laughs> you no. know, kind of silly, but um, but I've I've heard that there are some rules and ways around that. But you always have to defer this kind of stuff to the lawyer. In fact, even determining if the buyer can buy in can in Canada as a whole is something you always want to defer back to the lawyer. So again, having someone and being able to have that conversation, which is, I don't know. Are you are you eligible? Yeah. You know, here's here's what I what I understand and what I know about that, right? So, yeah, I'm not an accountant, so I can't speak on taxes for the most part. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer, so you should check with him. Yeah. Right? Share the responsibility. Share <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's sharing as much as it's just getting it off of your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> your plate, right? so yeah. Cover your own ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> little C- CYA. A little CYA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have uh, I have a friend who is, a, again, he's a compliance nerd as well. And we go back and forth and he sent, uh, I asked a question and then he sent a, a CYA and I couldn't figure out what CYA meant. Oh. <laughs> and I Googled it. I had to. And of course it came up as cover your ass. And I thought that was... Another wonderful broker acronym to incorporate. It is, it is. Uh, So the next would be new to Canada and it'd be, but on the conventional side, right? So Mm -hmm. for new to Canada conventional program, um, this would be clients again that have immigrated within the last five years, hold a PR status, but do not have confirmed income or meet the standard income qualifying guidelines as well as having established credit. So when we think about insured, for the most time, brokers are going to be thinking about 20% down or less. Yeah. Right. But that's not the case with this, mm-hmm. right? Because insured is actually 35% down or less. Kind, well, kind of. Yeah. And it depends because you, I think the big difference here is usually the conventional programs usually require 35% down. But if they're a, a US citizen moving up here, then then that can be a little bit different. There's, there can be a bit more flexibility there. But in general, yes, new to Canada programs, especially if there's no income verification, a lot of those require 35% down. And when I say no income verification, it still has to make sense. And this is where there's a really big gray area here. I've always, like with TD, for instance, it says like, oh, you know, we can, if, if it makes sense, we'll do it. I had a lot of deals that I thought really made sense. And they said like, yeah, no, we're still not going to do it. It's like, really? Okay. So it can be tricky. But some lenders like Scotiabank recently redid their uh, their program and policy. It's a number of pages long. We won't go into all the details, but there are <laughs> ways that you can you can do a deal with uh, with minimal income verification. Uh, HSBC is an interesting program too. You know they'll probably be gone by the time you're listening to this, or pretty close to being gone by oh. <laughs> out of the broker channel. <laughs> but for now, uh, they're still around, and and they have some programs with like 35 percent down. If you have a certain amount of income, like twenty five grand, then they can lean a little bit more on the the liquid assets in order to qualify. Um, so, in especially in the past, it used to be a lot easier to do this with uh, little to no income verification. Uh, but I think the key is insured; they must have a job, pay stubs, letter of employment. It's it's a kind of a standard income qualification type of arrangement. Whereas with thirty five percent down, there sometimes can be a little bit more flexibility with it in those cases. 
And those are when you're, so that flexibility as far as maybe not having the traditional income is having like the, the, the 12 months principal interest taxes and heats payments. Things like that. In a bank account to kind of give the lender a little bit more comfort that the payments will be made. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah interesting. So those are uh, obviously for Scotia, it's the, the start right. There's the equity offset and then the TD new to Canada or returning to Canada programs yeah. um, are a couple of the ones that we were talking about. So if you are inside your uh, TD broker kit um, or if you're on the SMA site, look at them. Yeah. Right. Look at them, read them, find the differences because they are a little bit different. And again, if you're going to best service your client, um, knowing which lenders offer what programs and if you guys can fit in to those, again, is going to be a key to, to being able to service this client sector. Yep, exactly. So temporary workers, right? You will want the client to verify uh, that they are exempt from the foreign buyer's ban and can legally purchase. I know we just touched on this. Um, so again, you're putting the onus back on the client so that the client can then hopefully approach a lawyer or somebody in the know to make sure that that they qualify, that they get ran through whatever whatever process or questions they have. And then they can come back to, to you. You know, by all means, make an introduction. Maybe inside your stable of, you know, accountants and other brokers and realtors and lawyers, right? Maybe there is some lawyer in there who specializes in immigration or in a new to Canada uh, mm-hmm. type programs that you can make an introduction to. And again, just add further value to your services to, to these people. I think in general, usually the temporary work, I think there's a couple of exceptions on this, but I think that the main one that people usually can get through the foreign buyer ban is if you are uh, here underneath the provincial nominee program. And so there's a lot of different information online that you can find on the provincial nominee program. But what is that? It's just a, a different way of being able to immigrate uh, into Canada. And so the provincial nominee program, I think, is something that is it's a bit more, uh, my understanding anyways, uh, is it's a bit more of a selective program in the province is saying, we want people with this skill set to come to our province. And so um, the provincial nominee program, I suppose, in general, has a higher quality of immigrant moving over here. And it's uh, usually in a income class that is in high demand and required by the government. So that's my understanding of it. I could actually be wrong on that, but, but that's my understanding based on other people telling me. So the provincial nominee program is something that you just, frankly, I find that the uh, people immigrating here know more about this than we do, right? So just tell them like, look, here's the website with everything, read it and then talk to a lawyer. And by the way, my understanding is that, you know, you can ask them, are you here under the provincial nominee program? If they say yes, and then you say, okay, good, because that's one of the ways that makes it a bit easier for you to buy here. Here's the information, take it to your lawyer. Again, deflect, deflect. (laughs) (laughs) Spread, share the responsibility. Share the responsibility, (laughs) share that love. Yeah. So for an example, for temporary workers, what I wanted to do is just kind of say, you know, maybe a a quick little situation where, you know, maybe you have a worker from the U.S. who relocated, you know, through his employer um, to manage a business in B.C., for a five-year time period, Mm -hmm. right? In that instance, the client would have needed to relocate in the last two years and been working in Canada for at least three months in order to qualify under this program. Of course, they would have to hold a a valid work permit and taxes would have been needed to file in Canada, right? That's a a big ticker. Temporary residents can purchase, and this is kind of the difference between temporary residents and PR, because PR is considered pretty much like a Canadian citizen, where temporary residents do have a little bit of restrictions. Um, And this is one of those, where they can purchase with 10% down from their own resources under CMHC um, and on a case-by-case with Sajin and, and CG. Do you, call, do you call it Sajin? you call it Sagan? Sajin? Uh, me too. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been corrected a bunch of times, but have I still you? just call it Sajin. Well, what is it? Uh, I, uh, Sajin. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I have never, I've never actually approached them and said, how do you say your Maybe name? Maybe we should ask. Yeah, Genworth. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they can purchase, so um, they can do it on a case-by-case with, uh, with Sage and NCG. Otherwise, under the conventional side, um, they can purchase with 80% loan-to-value, um, the alt credit, as we talked about already, um, and income qualifying as normally. Yeah. Yeah. So what I wanted to do next is to dive a little bit into the, what is the home buyer's ban, because that obviously comes comes into play when you're talking new to Canada, new arrivals, people who are either in the country or not in the country and looking to purchase property. Mm-hmm. So I know I alluded to this before, but it was uh, implemented in January of 2023. Um, and it's the purchase of, to stop the purchase of residential property by non-Canadians for two years. Um, so there's a couple of things inside that that we wanted to kind of dissect because there are, it's not a complete full stop, halt, nobody can ever do this. It's, so for non-Canadians, yeah. right, if they have a spouse, for example, or a common law that are purchasing and is a Canadian citizen, they're exempt. You're good. Uh, should we do that? <laughs> okay, fine. I'll do so You're for good. non-Canadians, if a spouse or, or a common law is purchasing and is a Canadian citizen, they're good. good. <laughs> <laughs> they can purchase in non-metropolitan areas with populations under 10,000. So this is kind of what we alluded to at the beginning, where the non-resident ban, while it affects lots of the people and brokers inside the main cities inside mm-hmm. Canada. If someone immigrates or wants to purchase a, a property in, you know, a small town in Alberta that has 2,500 people, this is not going to be the case and it's not going to be stopping them from doing it. You're good. <laughs> so a fern purchase contract in place prior to December 31st, 2021. So that's new builds. 2022. December 21st, 2022. Yeah, right right. before 2023. Yeah, Yeah. exactly right. So you're good? You're good. And then regulation exempts certain temporary residents, so students, um, workers, foreign nationals, refugees, that meet that specific criteria. You're good. Residential properties only. That's what this is about, right? It's a ban on residential property purchases. So commercial and recreational properties are still fair game. So if you're buying commercial or recreational property, then you're good. And also, raw land zoned for residential use or mixed use is subject to the ban. Yep. Yep. But if you're buying uh, raw land for commercial or industrial, then you're good. Perfect. Yeah. So in your personal book of business, then, do you see many commercial and recreational properties that come up for people who would otherwise not be able to buy? Just been finding that um, more of this more of the money is flowing into commercial real estate instead of residential real estate. And, and for a number of different reasons, um, qualifications for residential have become tougher and tighter, yeah. uh, but also the foreign buyer ban. It means that instead of that money flowing in and just buying a home in Vancouver that's going to sit empty, then instead they're just parking that, that money into a commercial real estate asset instead. Interesting. Yeah. And do you see that quite a bit? Uh, a reasonable amount. I mean, I, again, because I don't speak other languages other than English, I don't, I've never really been big into that. You know, if somebody that is lives in China, a non-resident buying, uh, lives in China and is just buying a, a, a property here, you know, I'm not going to be as exposed to that as somebody that uh, that works, you know, speaks Mandarin and or Cantonese and works more in that uh, in that space. Yeah. But uh, we still see it to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, it's just a matter really of just looking at all of the rules and guidelines. And I think it's just important if you have a client that you think may be subject to this information, you need to just send them all of the information and details and get them to read it and make sure that they're they're good. Make sure you ask, are you good? Um, and make sure you send it over to a lawyer as well. Okay. Yeah. So the last one that we kind of wanted to touch on that's in this, you know, new to Canada, foreign buyers, non-residency family um, is the non-resident program. Yep. 
right? And there is a foreign buyer's ban, yes, but as we said, there are rules inside that foreign buyer's ban that you must meet um, in order to purchase. Uh, so you must meet the, what is it called? The Income and Property Requirements under the Prohibition for the Purchase of Residential Properties Act. Um, so again, <laughs> <laughs> so we went over what those were a little bit, but it, it doesn't, it's not, a, as I said, it's not a hard stop. If someone says, I don't live there, but I want to purchase, right? There's more questions that need to be answered because you could, you know, by just flat out saying no and lumping them all into the same kind of category, you could be giving up, you know, potential business. And right now, I don't think anyone can afford to be giving up potential business. Nope, nope, Uh, definitely not. So what are those, right? Uh, Foreign buyers program slash non-resident program applies to clients who do not reside in Canada. Non-resident, right? You don't live here. You're not a permanent resident. You're not a temporary worker. Mm -hmm. You live in the United States and you want to buy here. You live in Australia and you want to buy here. Um, We actually did one a couple years ago. Uh, My wife's uncle was like the dean of Alaska University. Wow. Um, interesting story. He got brought up there. He's a vet and trained all over Canada. Very highly thought of vet as well. Yeah. And they brought him up there in the 90s, the early 90s, because the muskox population was being decimated by something. Oh. And they couldn't figure it out. Huh. So did he, he figure it out? He, brought, he did. Oh, wow. He saved the muskox. Wow. And so he got brought up there. He, they figured out what was going on. It was some sort of a disease or bacteria or whatever it was. He, he solved the problem alongside his wife, who was... Um, a lab worker under the same, up in the same thing. Wow. Um, they solved that problem. They're amazing people. We just had supper with them the other day. They, we moved them from Anchorage when they were still living and working in Anchorage. We had to do a non-resident program. Right. And they bought a, a property in Victoria that they were going to eventually retire at. But they're a Canadian citizen, but they hadn't lived there or filed taxes for many, many years. Right. So it had to fall under a non-resident program, 35% down. They've since retired and they live out on the island. Um, and are loving the fact that it's not snowing. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. But uh, we were we were driving behind them the other day, and uh, their daughter lives in Burnaby as well. And uh, we knew it was them because on her bumper sticker was a big "I love muskox" sticker. No way. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, there they are. There they are. That's <laughs> hilarious. I don't know right. what they drive, but I do know what they drive. I know yeah. that's them. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's fine. Right. Yeah. So I guess on the the non-resident, it's it's where you reside, but it's also. Even if you live in Canada, but your income is outside of Canada, then often that puts you into the non-resident box as well. Um, where if you you fly to Dubai and your income is earned in Dubai, for instance, because you're an engineer working on those crazy, crazy towers that they're building there. Yep. You know, now all of a sudden that may uh, may mean that you have to qualify underneath the non-resident program because your income is not coming from a Canadian company anymore. So that's another reason that you might get throw, you know thrown into that box. And then all of a sudden, that's where the down payment um, triggers will uh, will happen too. You know, typically you're looking at 35% down, but uh, you could, if you're a uh, U.S. Uh, resident, then most lenders will allow for as little as 20% down. Not TD, but uh, Scotiabank <laughs> and CIBC and many of the other lenders will do 20% down for U.S. residents. Um, also, um, some lenders will allow you to do 20% down on non-res programs if they're part of the Commonwealth as well. So the UK and to a lesser extent uh, Australia, uh, those are some other countries where you know their their tax filings are very similar to Canadian tax filings, and so if you're a Commonwealth country, then you may be able to do it with twenty percent down, depending on the lender, though. And so, do the lenders have any preference in regards to like the company that you work for? They they do actually, yes. So a lot of the lenders. Um, 
Non-resident deals, by the way, are always income qualified. Um, it used to be in the past, there used to be a little bit easier to, to do non-res deals with stated income, but they do uh, typically want to see income verification. And sometimes some lenders will have, and this comes and goes over time, but sometimes with 35 or 50% down, sometimes they'll have a program where there's some, it's a bit more lax on this, but generally speaking, non-res deals are income qualified. And usually they like to see that you're working for like a Fortune 500 company. Um, so one of the big, you know, accounting firms or engineering firms, whatever it is, generally speaking, that's what they're looking for. And if you're not, then it's a lot harder to do that and to get the proper income verification that's needed. And so it would follow the same suit, I assume, as far as credit bureaus is concerned as well. Um, you'd need a, a foreign credit bureau from whatever country they're residing in. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then, but I know we touched based on this as well with temporary workers or with PR, if there's no credit available, yeah. um, I wonder, and I've never had to do this. I wonder alternate credit sources from a different country. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I have it's a harder written, to do that. I have it written but... down that all they accept all credit sources, but I never thought I never put that two together. I wonder. Probably. Yeah. I, I feel like I've done it before. It all all is going to come down to you know how how strong is this deal overall, yeah. right? And if you have to really dig dig deep into it, then it's going to make it a lot harder. Yeah, so, no kidding. Yeah. So one of the good examples of this would be like parents, for example. And I go, this is huge in Vancouver, right? Parents from Hong Kong or China purchasing a property for their kids to live in when they're going to school or living yeah. over here or whatever. So that's a perfect example of of a non res. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I've seen with non res files is signing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If if the client lives in Hong Kong and they're purchasing in Canada, how is the signing going to happen? And do lenders typically allow for out of country signing? No. no, no. Did that change during COVID at all? A little bit. There was a little bit more of a lax. What I found is it often came down to the lawyer. So here's here's one of the. I'm not going to call it a trick, but it's a it's a way that sometimes we be able to get around out of country signing. And it comes down to the lawyer, but. If the lawyer can say that I have met this person in person and I have verified their ID at some point in the recent past, then let's say that they come here to view homes and they're looking at homes. If you tell them, by the way, when you're here looking at properties, go meet with a lawyer, get them to verify their ID. Now the lawyer can say that I have sat down with this person in person and verified their ID myself. And then if they fly back home and then they try to do a remote closing you might be able to pull off a remote closing um, because the lawyer can say that they have met with the person in person mm -hmm. and verified ID. It doesn't necessarily need to be that at the moment of closing that they verified it, but at some point in the past. The problem is if they're uh, a foreign, foreign buyer and they've never met with a lawyer in the country ever to verify identification, then there's nobody that can actually do that for you. So that's where they usually do have to fly in here and, and sit down in person. Interesting. And also on top of that, the money coming into Canada needs to be sitting in here for 30 days prior to closing or else the AML guys crawl up, crawl up that like, you know, <laughs> I won't give you guys an image, but you know like, what I'm talking about. They don't like yeah. that. No, they don't. It's crawling up in that, <laughs> crawling up on that down payment stuff. Yeah. So got to be very careful about that too. People who are just listening to this did not get that full effect when no. Kyle made the rat noise because <laughs> he made the face too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to go all out. That was Justin. awesome. I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, I have a, a little story about uh, out-of-country signings. I did a, a deal recently, actually, for a gentleman who I helped multiple times, and he uh, is ex-military, um, and he bought on Bowen Island. Okay. And so he bought on Bowen Island, but his wife, she's an art dealer, and she works in um, Germany. 
Oh, cool. And so she was not coming home to sign. Yeah. Right. There's no way. So we did the deal and we went with one with a lender. And of course, me being the brilliant broker that I am, I didn't think to check. <laughs> right. Brilliant. So brutal. So it came down to, you know, we did that. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I wonder what. So we talked to the lender and the lender's like, nope, needs Uh-oh. to be here. I'm like, yeah. well, so we had to pivot and go to a different lender, get it submitted, get it approved. And what we discovered is that the new lender also didn't allow for signings out of the location in Europe that she was in, but they did allow for some locations in Europe. So she actually had to go on a three-hour drive, cross the border from Germany into Switzerland, and sign at a notary in Switzerland because the lender here allowed for that signing to happen and that signing to happen and then come together. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well. Where the other lender just said straight up, no, we don't allow for it. It wasn't no, but... Germany is fine and, you know, Amsterdam's okay and this is okay. There was no list. It was just a straight no. So it's not a straight no with everybody. Yeah. And I find sometimes too, just getting the lawyer involved in that process and say, hey, by the way, this is the situation. How does this work? And sometimes they'll say, well, with that bank, we can do this or with that situation, we can do this. So just get the lawyer involved too, especially if you're in a pickle. Yeah. And sometimes you might need to call more than one lawyer. Uh, I've done that before too. Some uh, lawyers are like, yeah, this is how we do it. We do it the same way every time. And some lawyers are like, yeah, we can make it work. <laughs> sure. I don't know how why there's a difference, but awesome. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So I'm going to pick your brain as far as knowing uh, outside the broker channel lenders a little bit better than I do. Yeah. When a non-resident deal like this comes up, do you have anyone that pops into mind to you use? CIBC. Is like, it? Yeah, yeah. Like instant, <laughs> yeah. Um, it used to be BMO, actually. BMO used to be the best for this kind of stuff. They used to have a great program with 30% down. So most lenders needed 35. They were 30% down. And it was just like, snap your fingers and you're done. I know a lot of BMO mobile specialists that were there and loved BMO for it. Um, and now they're much tighter on that program. Uh, I do find CIBC, if the client works for a Fortune 500 company, even if they're not uh, within Commonwealth countries, et cetera, you can often still do as little as 20% down actually for a non-res deal with mm. CIBC. Not always. And frankly, th- that kind of policy is a policy that will change and come in and out and ebb and flow a fair bit. So if you do a deal in a two months from now, it might not still be the case, but I've done some deals with 20% down just because the client worked for a Fortune 500 company and they were not within you know Commonwealth or the United States. So I do find CIBC one of the better lenders in general to work with on those types of deals. RBC, not as not as good. I find them to be a little bit more rigid in general. Uh, BMO used to be really good, not as good right now. And then, uh, and then Scotia and TD, we have a pretty good idea of, of what they're all about. Uh, HSBC is probably the other major bank. And unfortunately, again, it looks like uh, RBC is buying them and, and then collapsing them completely and bulldozing it down to the ground. But uh, HSBC Canada used to be really good for non-resident deals as well, especially from like China, et cetera. They could, if you had an HSBC bank account in uh, in China, then they could do income verification like through their own back channels. And uh, and you could do it with those, those little like 20 to 30% down. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that would be very difficult for most of their lenders. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and then there are some additional lenders, some that are a bit more obscure, but uh, Shinhan and Korean Exchange Bank, for instance, you know, they'll look at, uh, at at Korean Korean income and foreign Korean income as an example. So they have some ways of of being able to verify uh, Korean income. So sometimes you you need to get a little bit creative too. But um, yeah, I think Keb is really good. Korean uh, is yeah. really good with U.S. income as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. U.S. and and Korean. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So yeah. I'm pretty sure that 
we've touched base on everything that we need to as far as new to Canada goes. Um, back in the day. 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 <laughs> that was different. <laughs> Usually we just line it up and we just bellow it at the same time, but that was uh, that was uh, different. I felt like little, it was an acapella. You got, a, you got a little rhythmic. Back in the day, back in the day, back in the day. I, did, uh, I can't I even hit the high note. I didn't hate <clears> it. <throat> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyways. Sorry, people. Let's talk about the back in the day. So I, I had an interesting one I wanted to talk about because I thought this was just stupid that you could even get this kind of mortgage done. So we talked about a little bit about CIBC back in the day. Yep. I did a deal with, actually, I think I did a couple deals with CIBC. I, just one comes to mind. But they used to have a, a program for non-residents and it was a student program. So if you were a student and you could show that you had, I think, two, at least two more semesters left or something like that, uh, you could put 35% down, no questions asked, and get a mortgage. <laughs> How stupid was that? No income it, at all? No, no income verification at all. No. So a, a student who's probably not working can yeah. come in with 35% down from mom or dad, probably, yeah, and qualify for a mortgage without any income verification at all. Yep. Gross. It was it was crazy. Yeah. So I yeah, I couldn't believe that that was doable, but uh yeah, that program's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it, should be. It, it should, should be. It should be. Yeah. Gone. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, easier to broker back in the day, but safer to broker today. Yeah. Harder, but safer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me about new to Canada mortgages today. Yeah, today, eh? Today, eh? <laughs> Later, bud. Later, bud. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to sit with us. Hopefully, you're able to take a couple things from today's episode, implement it into your everyday, and improve in the areas you need to. For direct interaction with us, please join the conversation through our Facebook community. Check the link in the show notes, and happy brokering.